welcome into episode 45 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined once again by Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Travis, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. Got a lot to talk about for it seems like first time in a while, uh, actual news, not just gimmicky stuff like actual news to talk about for the first time in a while. And going to get on here and uh, talk some crap about some people, too. So it's going to be a fun show. <laughs> and David, how are you today, man? Uh, and if you talk crap about me, man, I'm, I'm talking crap back. <laughs> I'll do that. I do that every episode, Stramp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of our favorite parts of doing this show is uh, all the banter. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we missed. Uh, I miss you guys last week. You know, it was just kind of a hectic week. A lot of stuff going on, both uh, in our lives. You know, busy busy schedules and all that. Nationally, a whole lot going on. That you know, it just we you know, I think we we all kind of decided that it we you know we needed a, a week off. There wasn't a whole lot going on recruiting wise. We were just like, okay, let's um, let, let's take this week off and then move forward next week so we can have a a huge show this week and as promised, so much going on Friday night, you know, Friday afternoon, massive news drops re- uh, regarding Oklahoma State, uh, kind of trickle down effect with Cade Cunningham, Musa Cisse pushing back his decision, a whole bunch of stuff going on. So this is going to be a very, very, very busy show. Uh, first up, the man of the hour. We got to talk about Cade Cunningham. He's back in the news, could potentially open back up his recruitment. Uh, like I said, Friday afternoon, the NCAA uh, kind of throws the book at Oklahoma Oklahoma State, you know, makes them the, the first victim of this pay-for-play scandal. Um, Oklahoma State gets hit with a one-year postseason ban, three years of probation. They lose three scholarships between now and 2022 and 2023. Uh, $10,000 fine, including 1% of the basketball budget. I mean, they get hit for a for one level one violation. Uh, man, they got absolutely destroyed. And as a result, people are talking about the obvious. What does this mean for Cade Cunningham? This is a guy that committed to Oklahoma State to play for his brother, who's an assistant there. Uh, and if you remember back when he committed, he kind of talked about, you know, uh, making his History at Oklahoma State. He wanted to do things that nobody's ever been done. You know, kind of a lesser-known program. He wanted to go there and and kind of take things over and and lead that team to. You know, he said national title. I don't think anybody anticipated a national title, but he at least thought thought of himself as a, as a player that could lead that team to making some noise in the NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament is is now out of the picture for him. So as a result, people are obviously putting two and two together and assuming that this this could very well change. You know, his decision could change in the very near future. Uh, Travis, I want to get your immediate thoughts on not only just you know the Cade side of things, but just this massive you know hit that Oklahoma State's taking. Do you, you know? Do, did you expect it? Do you think it, uh, it was warranted? Do you think they deserved as uh, heavy as a punishment as they as they received? What was your just immediate uh, immediate thoughts on Friday afternoon when that news came down? Well, for one, it tells me that the NCAA is playing no games, and for two, it tells me that Kansas is absolutely going to be <laughs> annihilated by the NCAA. But in terms of Kate Cunningham, I think that nobody really knows 100% sure uh, what's going on, but there's a lot of speculation that uh, he could pursue different avenues. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I think that it'll be foolish to speculate on those avenues until he is released to, out of his uh, letter of intent. If that's 
if that's what he decides to do. But the three avenues I think that have the most steam are probably overseas. I, had, I heard overseas from the jump, it's like before it actually happened. I texted Jack and said it was the, about an hour or so before uh, before they got it, before it was released that they got hit that they were planning on uh, announcing a ban and that Kate Cunningham was possibly looking at going, going overseas. Because mm-hmm. what, I, what I'd heard is that Cade was going to be on campus by now. I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but I heard that from a source that's been right in the past. that He's going to be in school on campus now, and then that got pushed back. So I think that overseas is a viable option. I think staying in Oklahoma State, if he stays in the college ranks, I think that's probably where the favorite is. But – I think that at the same time, I think along with the pro route and the training route, I think he could. I think he could just stay at home and train for the pros because he's going to be a top ten pick, top five pick regardless. He's just that naturally gifted. He doesn't need the publicity to uh, jump up the draft boards. But I think that those two routes are ahead of the college route this time, and it's going to be interesting to see if other schools try to possibly hire Cannon, his older brother in trying to get Cade services for a year. And I don't think Kentucky would be a school that would do that. And it would be interesting to see if Kentucky and Cade would mend, mend fences. But like I said, until letter until he's out of his letter of intent, I'm not going to speculate on it too much. Now, David, you know, I think as soon as that news went public, I think I personally got like 10 DMs from Kentucky fans, you know, numerous mentions, you know, people texting me saying, oh, does it, is Cade going to Kentucky? They were the number two school on his list the first time. Why in the world would, you know, would, would this not happen the second time around? Why wouldn't Kentucky be that, that go-to, you know, favorite for him, uh, I guess you could call it. Um, you kind of did – you did this interview with Corey Evans, who's been on top of it. He was on top of it the first round, and then and, and then now he seems to, to be the, the go-to guy in this recruitment. You did an interview with him that kind of turned heads, uh, you know, nationally. People were – you know, I, I know I wrote an article about it and about uh, Corey's comments specifically regarding Kentucky's chances in the past and all that. So, you know, real quickly, do you think Kentucky has a chance the second time around? And, and, you know, what was your biggest takeaway, you know, both with your conversation with Corey Evans and just in general after uh, you heard the news on Friday afternoon as well? The biggest news that I really took away from what Corey said uh, is really you have to compare it with what he wrote yesterday in his Twitter Tuesday column. When I talked to him Friday – he was uh, really looking at it from the angle that uh, Cade had really had it in his mind for the last, let's say, nine months to uh, be at Oklahoma State. And as, as uh, Travis just said, you know, he probably was already supposed to be there. If not, it was going to be any time. She basically... You've got this, uh, you've prepared for it, it's in your heart, it's in your soul, it's in your mind that you're going to be going to Stillwater, you're on campus, and then right then, this hits. And Corey said he just couldn't see, Cade, if he decides to go to college, that he would change his mind and go elsewhere. Um, Now, compare that to yesterday, and... Uh, he's got a lot of sources here, and he talks to people at Oklahoma State, including Mike Boynton 
he's as close to Cade as anybody out there in recruiting circles. So he's kind of got some scoop on this one. And he really started talking yesterday about uh, being a uh, just basically a removal of talent from Oklahoma State, getting out of there with the kibosh on postseason, with all the sanctions, and going elsewhere. And his uh, thing was he thinks Cade's going to wait and see what happens at Oklahoma State. If a lot of guys leave, then that could make it more tempting for him to leave. So it's a fluid situation. I think that part of it has changed from Friday to, or Saturday to Tuesday in three days. And as you guys know, in these type of, of like I said, fluid situation, things change, and they change day to day, hour to hour. Uh, so that's something to watch. The other thing, too, we talked so much about the G League, uh, and he said the same thing with John Kaminga, that if they decided to go the professional route, he thought they were leaning more toward going overseas than the G League. And to me, that's very surprising once the G League this past spring really got its heels dug in and it looked like just the influx of talent going overseas was done. So that was something that really, it's not been talked about much, but that's something that really surprised me that it looks like uh, the route going to Australia with elite high school players has not been shut down. Yeah, I think you know you, you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Corey specifically said you know, the word exodus. Exodus is, you know, he said, I fully expect there to, to, to be multiple players that leave the Oklahoma State program in the coming weeks. And if you remember back when Cade committed to Oklahoma State, he said, it's going to be crucial crucial for me, uh, you know, leading up to the final weeks of his recruitment. He said, it's going to be crucial for me to play with other elite talent. I want to be surrounded by elite talent. And that was when he, you know, started talking with, with you know, some of the other high four, low five-star guys at Oklahoma State. State was flirting with and then ultimately signed. Uh, I think they signed a couple of them at least. Um, you know, to see those guys back away from the table and say, yep, no thanks. I'm going to play. I'm going to go play somewhere where I can at least win a title. That's something also keep in mind. And I think uh, Corey's change of tune when he kind of first said, I don't know. You know, Kate is kind of you know up in the air. He's he's just you know flabbergasted. He's just you know so so confused about how it all unfolded. Everybody around here is. I would still be kind of shocked if uh, if he left Oklahoma State. That was kind of the first you know run of what he was saying. And then the next time you know I think he did an interview with Ben Roberts of of the Herald Leader came out and said, you know, if I had to, you know, put money on it, I would play, you know, I would bet the latter. He, ben Roberts asked, uh, you know, would you take Oklahoma State or the field? And he said the field. Uh, and then in his Twitter Tuesday, you know, he kind of mentioned that that overseas would be an option, mentioned Kentucky among uh, the college options. You know, it definitely feels like this is about to open up quite a little bit, you know, quite a bit more than he at least originally anticipated. Um, and again, Kentucky fans are going crazy talking about whether or not UK is going to be involved and all that. Um, some early conversations, my gut is telling me no. Uh, UK, you know, based on just a, a few people I've talked to around the program, they don't anticipate. You know, they're they're not even they're not even going to entertain this possibility or this scenario until the day comes that he is out of his letter of intent. He says, "I am leaving." You know, the Oklahoma State program. I'm going to explore my transfer options. I think we are still two, three, four 
four steps away from even getting to the point where UK would even be legally allowed to contact him, let alone decide if they're an actual player or not. So I think, you know, for, for the fans that that are going crazy, like, oh, we could hear news in the n- near future, all that, I don't think that's going to happen. I wouldn't put my money on it. But, Travis, we were talking a little bit off, you know, off off the air, phone calls over the last couple of days and all that. You know, we you know a little bit to get off off your chest and a little bit to get off my chest regarding you know the the development of Cade's recruitment, what we said on this show. Uh, you know, we were pretty outspoken about Kentucky's chances. You know, about how things went on that official visit with Kentucky. We said he was very very close to committing to Kentucky. The UK coaching staff came away feeling like if he didn't silently commit, that a commitment was commitment was coming in the in the week after. Evan Daniels submits a crystal ball pick almost immediately after his official visit. There was so much momentum going in favor of Kentucky, and then he goes home. You know, his family talks him into you know sleeping on it a little bit. All that momentum shifts away from Kentucky and we get blasted for it. So Travis, I want you to kind of take the floor and kind of tell your your side of things and you know just kind of, you know, get get some things off your chest if you really want to. Yeah, based on the comments that you all were just talking about the Corey made to David in that interview, I felt super vindicated because that was like the first big recruitment that I covered. And so naturally everybody I got it wrong in the end. You know, I had right information at the time. So everybody's like, oh, he, he's a newbie. He's just making it up to get clout, blah, blah, blah. And then, then once – see, here's the thing. At Big Blue Madness that weekend, UK staff felt super, super, super good about their pitch, about where they stood. That, like Corey said, that he practically almost pulled the trigger and he had to get uh, talked off the ledge by his family. But I think that, when, like you said, whenever he went back home, things changed. I had put in a future cast for Kentucky, and I knew whenever he set the announcement the day of that, I was like, oh, crap, this isn't Kentucky. But I'm not going to go 11th hour and change my pick. Yeah. I, I hate when people do that. But the information I had at that time from Kentucky and from other people like Cade couldn't have been any closer to being a wildcat. People don't understand that. That's probably gonna make them even more upset about this recruitment was that, like he said in the video, he was this close to committing to Kentucky. And I think that a lot of people didn't realize that. And then Kentucky fans got super duper, 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 duper upset on Twitter and on message boards, attacking me, attacking my wife, attacking everything that every item in my house, it seemed like, but, I was like, oh, you don't have any sources. Oh, you're just making this up. Oh, you're a dumbass. You're this, you're that, you're anything. And then it's all the same people. It's all like older guys that like played softball, but they, and they think that they're tough because they have a softball picture as their Twitter AV, but they're the, they're not the real tough guys that play softball. They're the guys that play softball and then think they're tough because of it. Or it's the guys that have the, just a clear gray picture as their AB and then like a bunch of numbers. And yeah, so I felt really vindicated and I was like, Oh, got to get this off my chest because I mean, nothing I said in that time was going to appease Kentucky fans because they were so upset about their recruitment. But I, I definitely feel um, like a weight is lifted off my shoulders. Now that the national analysts that everybody 
after that recruitment was like, oh, Corey's the biggest in the know now because Evan Daniels got it wrong. Now that he said it, and now that everybody knows he's super close to Mike Boyden and super close to Oklahoma State staff and super cl- close, the closest analyst to the Cunningham family, that, that he said it, I mean, there's nothing else really for me to say. I, I feel good about it. I mean, if, if you go back to that week, I remember I talked to, you know, one of my guys. You you guys know who he is. I'm not going to say, you know, call him out over the air. But there's one guy in particular that there is a significant event that happens at every uh, on every single official visit that you know we have a, a pretty solid plug in to how things go and how things unfold and they said I, I have never seen John Calipari this invested in roll out the red carpet for anybody in in, in my time you know doing this cover you know wa- watching recruits come in and, and you know see him interact with them and, and just kind of put on the full court press with them I mean I think if you over the last, you know, going back to EYBL, I think there were eight or nine different instances that a UK coach uh, either visited visited Cade, hosted Cade on a visit, um, you know, was participated in an in-home visit with Cade or his family. I think the, the total number was like eight or nine. It was just absurd. It just absolutely blew any other recruit out of the water. UK went all in on that recruitment. John, and we, we talked about this a lot on, on the show before. John Calipari had already secured a commitment from Devin Askew, a guy that he was very, very confident in his abilities and kind of said, you know, we we would feel confident in him starting at Kentucky next year no matter what. So they already got his commitment, knew he was going to reclass at 2020, and they kind of, you know, put it upon themselves to say, you know what? We can go all in on Kate if we really want to. If he doesn't come, then we still have Devin in our back pocket. We know we have him uh, to, to lead the show next year. So at worst, we're being led by a five-star point guard. At best, we have you know, arguably the best backcourt in Kentucky basketball history with Kate Cunningham, B.J. Boston, and Terrence Clark. I mean, literally – it, it, it was a it was a win win scenario for for John Calipari and, and his staff and yeah they they missed out on it at the last second but he was one hundred percent going to Kentucky that week uh, he was telling people he, I think it was the Arkansas football game that weekend he was telling people in the student section with with where he was you know he was out with with students and celebrating with those guys he was telling people that he was coming to Kentucky he was telling people at Big Blue Madness that he was all in like this was a dude that wasn't even hiding how much he enjoyed his time at Kentucky uh, you know hiding the fact that UK had a legitimate shot to land his services and if it weren't for his parents telling him that hey we want you to come home sleep things over we want you you know let's let's rethink things a little bit before you jump on a commitment he was ready to commit on that trip in fact I I think he might have silently committed on that trip and then was going to make it public the week you know in the, in the days afterward and he finally goes home talks things over with his family and they decide that they want to hold off, go through with his official visit to Washington, you know, sleep on things, talk to his brother again over at Oklahoma State, make sure that, you know, he has all the things that he, necessary to make a, a full and complete decision. And at the end of the day, uh, he changed his mind again and went back to Oklahoma State. I'm, I mean, that's how it unfolded. I mean, that's that's without a doubt. Another thing, without a doubt. Another thing about that weekend is a lot of people don't realize how close Paulo was apparently from people I've talked to. <laughs> To also like pulling the trigger, like he was so enticed on big uh, by Big Blue Madness, from what I've heard, like he was super, super, super close to um, pretty much becoming a cat right there. But well, just like Cade, he held off. But I mean, 
his recruitment could and uh, has a good possibility of having a different uh, different outcome. Now, obviously, this is we're still multiple steps away. This is not us predicting anything or anything like that. But we got we got a ton of these questions on Twitter, and I, I know you probably you guys probably got it on message boards and 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 all that stuff. But let's just let's just talk this out. Um, say Cade backs out of his his commitment to Oklahoma State. He says, "I'm exploring my options. I'm going to talk to the pro you know the pro leagues. I'm going to talk to the G League, and I'm going to you know flirt with some colleges potentially." And Kentucky, he comes knocking on Kentucky's door, decides to, you know, change his mind, make a program-changing decision, sign with the University of Kentucky. David, what would that backcourt mean to you in terms of, you know, historically speaking? What, how good do you think that backcourt could potentially be of Cade, B.J. Boston, and Terrence Clark? You guys don't remember uh, the Fab Five when they came on the scene at Michigan. But, uh, I mean, they were a cultural shift. They were so big. And uh, you're looking at something like that. I mean, I guess if you go back and think about what Duke put together uh, two or three years ago, you know, when Zion came in and Cam Reddish and and those guys in the backcourt, you're looking at the same thing. Just, just, I mean, all eyes are going to be on Kentucky. Yeah, Travis, you know, we kind of talked a little bit on on. Uh, I don't know if it was the actually the day of, but a couple of days in, in the days since we talked about, you know, what what that would mean to to have all three of those guys behind the scenes, and and uh, you know, we were kind of talking like, man, one of those guys is going to be the third option on that would be the third option on on that roster next year. You know, Terrence Clark could be potentially the third option, a consensus top 10 recruit ranked as high, you know, ranked as high in the, as the top five. Um, you know, he could potentially be a third option on Kentucky's team next year. What do you think? How, how good do you think this team could be if, you know, the dream scenario unfolded that, that Kate ended up at Kentucky? Well, if I'm usually somebody that laughs at 40, you know, but if, if Cade was to come, like I said, I'm not – this is just what-if scenario. This is just talking here. But if Cade was to come, I would allow 98% of 40-0 talk. I think that you would have three top top 10 NBA draft prospects for next year. And like you said, uh, probably Terrence Clark or B.J. Boston would be the third option on that team, which is absolutely absurd. And – that would rival the 2012 and 2015 teams and overall like top tier talent on the wing or at the garden wing positions. I mean, I can't think of a um, college team ever that had more talent at the one through three spots, like pure straight basketball talent might not reach in college might not be the most uh, talented collegiate backcourt of all time, but as as far as raw, pure talent, one through three would be absolutely disgusting. David, uh, Travis and I had talked a little bit about this, uh, about this what-if scenario. You get one of the two. You get Olivier Saar eligible or Cade Cunningham is is the final piece of Kentucky's recruiting class and no other pieces added to the added to the puzzle. It's, it's either Olivier Saar or Cade Cunningham is the final piece uh, and, and the rest of the roster remains intact as is. Who are you taking and why? God, I hate that question. (laughs) Uh, 
I mean, as far as talent goes, you've got to go with Cade Cunningham, but I think we'll need probably Olivier Saar. I mean, I, you could make a case for both. I just think that they need experience inside. They need that um, and I think even one, I mean, if you look at, at adding Olivier Saar, Kentucky goes into the top five immediately, probably top, maybe even up to number one, definitely probably top three. And the same thing happens at Kentucky. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt who the better player is, who the better pro prospect is. That's Cade Cunningham. But I don't think the need is as great for Cunningham as what it is for Sar, if that makes sense. So, man, I, I know I'm dodging it and tap dancing here, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I can make a case for both from just totally two different angles. Travis, what, what, what you got telling you on that scenario? I went back and forth with it, but I'm going with Cade just because he would be the third best recruit probably behind John Wall and Anthony Davis that Calipari's landed at Kentucky. You you wouldn't have to worry about rebounding as much whenever you're back uh, in terms of losing out on SAR in that situation because your backcourt would be 6'7", 6'6", 6'7". And I think that just having <laughs> that generational type point guard on your team one of the best point guards Cal Perry's ever had. I think that that would do more for that team. Um, I mean, of course you're going to lose out on some paint scoring, but th- you don't have to go to paint touches. If you've got those two, uh, those three with Keon Brooks at the four, I mean, hell one of us could play at the five and still win 35 <laughs> games. <I'd> be- <laughs> That's kind of my big takeaway. I mean, if you think about it, this would be an opportunity for Coach Cal to experiment the hell out of small ball. I mean, really, would it even be that much of small ball when your three starting guards are all six seven? I mean, that's. I mean, it, it's like massive small ball if that's what if if that's where you're going at it. But I mean, think about. Cade at the one, B.J. Boston at the two, or Terrence Clark at the two, in, you know, the three wings respectively. And then you look at the four, Keon Brooks, five, you know, Isaiah Jackson. I mean, that team, think about how, you know, how fast they'd be running up and down the floor, lobs. I mean, gosh, that would be just one of the most exciting, you know, fast-paced Cal teams we've seen ever. I mean, but one of the fastest, you know, it'd be like the Patino days. I mean, that'd just be – just absolutely freaking absurd, man. I mean, I'm just, you know, have Devin ask you. And, and, I mean, if you think about it, everybody was kind of talking about, oh, well, it would hurt Davion Mintz's feelings and all that. And I'm like, okay, first of all, when you're talking about the, the the potential of adding Cade Cunningham, you're not worried about feelings at this point. I mean, to, to be totally honest, you're you're worried about stacking the deck as much as you could possibly do, as much as you possibly can, and you know, running the floor. I mean, seriously, that's when you add that group, you think, okay, we're going back to the 2014-15 roster. You know, stacked at all positions of the floor, two two or three deep at every position. You're not worried about, you know, winning cures all locker room issues and all that. I mean, that 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 team would just be so stacked. If you think about it, Davion Mintz, he pro, you know he played primarily off ball, uh, you know, at Creighton quite a bit. And Devin Askew, he was the, the dude vouching for Kate Cunningham to come to Kentucky. He said, you know, more than anything, they would work together, and you know, he could play off ball. They could, you know, feed off of one another and, and work together on the floor. So I think the the only person you would have to worry about, quote unquote, is is Davion Mintz. And worst case is he gets played more off ball and he still gets shots up. I mean that. I mean, I mean, it, his role wouldn't diminish. He'd still get that opportunity on the floor. I, I just think it, it would it would be. Davion Mintz 
not. He may get his feelings hurt anyway if Cal Perry shortens a bench. Uh, he is not a lock to get a lot of minutes or to have uh, you know out an, an outstanding season. Uh, and I don't mean that in any way bad toward him, but he was really trying to make the adjustment to play the point guard at Creighton. And depending on who you talk to, he was struggling with doing that. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's not a lock. I, I kind of laugh a little bit when I, I see the Mints talk with he playing. I think somebody asked on Twitter, would, would Cunningham play in front of Davion Mints? And you're like, next question. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's just to to think uh, that Calipari to think that Calipari would look uh, would would look at that situation and go, oh well, you don't want to hurt the Creighton grad transfers' feelings. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Davion. Calipari, Mason. go for Calipari it. would look at Mance and say, "We're all grown here," and then just walk away. Yeah, like I, I mean, dude, I you know I, the people I talk to around the program love Davion Mintz. They said the word "perfect fit" about 35 times. They you know, they think it's a perfect addition, but Cade Cunningham is Cade Cunningham. At the end of the day, they, you know, there's one more mouth to feed, and it's a pretty freaking big mouth to feed, but it would work. If, if, you're, if you're in the business of winning, and it seems like all those guys that have signed, signed up at Kentucky are, it would be a, a net positive at the end of the day, no matter how you look at it. I mean, just w- without a doubt, that would be a massive, massive program-changing commitment if th- if he decides to change his mind. Again, going back, I know you know we're just hypothetically speaking here. None of us have predicted anything. I you know, if anything, we've predicted that this doesn't happen. That you know, my gut is still saying that he's going to Australia. He'll end up overseas going to Australia. And I think all three of us have have hinted or or flat out come out and said. That that's you know probably the likely scenario, or staying at Oklahoma State or training back at home in Texas. Those are probably the the likeliest options. But th- there is an avenue for this to happen if he decides to say you know screw it, let's go run the table, Let- let's go dominate college basketball and, cr- and make history. I mean there there is an avenue for that if he wakes up one day and says let's let, let you know I I didn't choose UK the first time around. I had a good gut feeling that that was the, that was a good uh, fit for me. Maybe he goes back and says, this is the right fit for me the second time in a row. I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to say, make the same mistake twice, I guess. There's a guy on our site that posted something the other day talking about uh, how you could divvy up the playing time. If Cade was to come and make everybody happy, you know, I don't agree with some of these. Uh, like here's an example of how it could work. So there's a total of 200, minutes of playing time up for grabs um Cade would get 26 Boston would get 26 Clark would get 26 Brooks would get 25 and Sar would get 25 on the bench Askew would get 15 Mintz would get 15 Allen would get 12 Isaiah Jackson would get 15 Lance Ware would get 10 and Fletcher would get five granted I think you could take some off of Ware some off of Mintz and definitely some off of Allen I don't think he's gonna be playing 12 minutes per game and then divvy that up amongst the starters and get them up to about 30 minutes per game. I think, I mean, crunching the numbers, it could work. Yeah, and if you, I mean, those are true backups. Davion Mintz is the true backup for B.J. Boston or Terrence Clark at the two. Devin Askew is the true backup for Cade at the one. Like, I mean, it's not like, you, you know, you're going to have to force feed weird roles and kind of, you know, put, you know, square pegs in around holes. Like, it, this isn't a weird, you know, makeshift roster group. It's literally it'd just be adding an, a starter and putting the you know the penciled in starter right now to the backup role. Like I mean, that's literally all it would do. The roster itself, 
the, the, the makeup of the roster would allow for an addition like this and work just fine. So, yeah, all the people that I don't are, think there's any way I don't think there's any way that you would look at Boston and, and, and uh, Cunningham and those guys that they play less than 30 minutes unless you're just blowing people out. Uh, I don't think they're going to be on the floor. I think that, I mean, they're not going to play 38, 39 minutes a game. It's not going to be Ashton Higgins and quickly and those kind of minutes. But I, I mean, you're going to have your, you're going to have your studs out there. Yeah. But I mean, if you, at the end of the day, you also think about that platoon team, I think Carl Anthony Towns, I think they all averaged about 18, 20, 22 minutes a game, something like that. So, I mean, it, that's only if we get to that point of platoon talk and, and, and all that stuff. I, I'm right there with you. I think you do, this is a team that the starters are better than the role players and the minutes should you know adjust for that. Um, but it, you know if that's what it takes to make everybody on the roster happy and create just the absolutely most dominant, you know fully loaded uh, deep team we've seen in college basketball since that uh, since that 2014-15 team, that might be the avenue they take. I don't know. Again, we're we're getting way, way, way ahead of that possibility ever unfolding. But if it does, if it does unfold, we th- there's at least an avenue for it for it to happen, and, and everybody be happy. Okay. Something I want to add real quick before we move on from Cade, uh, real quick is uh, people have asked me like, what does UK think about the Cade scenario? And I've asked people around the program, but everybody has to realize that. They've told me, no, it's not a possibility. But that that might be true, but at the same time, they have to tell me that it is not a possibility. It would be illegal for them to say that it is a possibility. He is yeah. – he, he has a – I mean, might not be as you know scientific as this, but he has a signed contract to another program. He can't – you know, it, I mean, that would be tampering 100 – I mean, they could get in serious trouble for that. So – UK is not going to say a freaking word about it until yeah. that, so that whether they paper's believe gone. That they have a, whether they believe that they have a chance or not won't come out until we until like we talked about earlier the letter until he gets out of his letter of intent. Yeah. So and that you means, mean like Kerry Blackshear and some of the others not being a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, let's not bring up Kerry Blackshear. That I I hate that recruitment more than just about anybody. The, I think. Kerry Blackshear's recruitment and Jaden McDaniel's McDaniel's recruitment are my two least favorite in the history of, of doing this job. I think, and those were back to back too. I hated those two recruitments. They were just, oh, just absolutely horrible for various reasons, and and oh, just I, I hated everything about it. Okay, bringing up NCAA sanctions and and all this. I mean, I, it just makes me wonder what the heck is next. I mean, you look at. I mean, they got one level one violation, and they got the book thrown at them. What does this mean for a Kansas program? As you know, despite them being a blue blood, and you know the NCAA likes to you know kind of favor the, the blue bloods a little bit, they got five level one violations. I mean, if you look at it comparatively speaking, based on what they got and you know what Oklahoma State got versus you know what Kansas could theoretically get i mean if you think about it we could see kansas on probation for five six seven years and 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 missing the tournament for what three years would that be comparable to to the offense david what do you what do you expect the ncaa to do with kansas and i guess all the other you know lsu's of the world arizona's of the world well obviously the ncaa uh 
you know, they're a fickle group. But I had I had heard in, in just when they started that uh, the NCAA had actually reported some of this to the FBI, and they just did not have the money nor the moral power to really go in and find out what all was going on and, and to, to find out who the wrongdoers were. And that, uh, you know, it does seem like a lot of expense was paid and time was paid. Uh, you know, you're going to federal court in New York and guys are ending up getting three months in jail. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, you, you, you could get more for jaywalking around here than, than, than what those coaches got, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it was just kind of funny how that all played out. Now I'll hear a lot of people deny it, but I, I'm not so sure that that's not right. And that's just a, you know, a, a conspiracy theory on my part. But uh, I, I heard that early on. So uh, the, it's, it's almost been kind of like the NCAA has just been kind of waiting. They took, they've taken all this criticism uh, that, you know, that they just, you know, turn a blind eye to all this stuff. They don't have the teeth to make things stick. And, you know, the, uh, as it turned out, you know, North Carolina really embarrassed them over the, the academic fraud uh, Miami kind of ends up getting the same deal. They have to pull back, even though they were able to to, to cast a shadow over the, the football programs recruiting there for a while. And they even had to back off Penn State. So um, I think that they've just been laying back, licking their chops. Now, there's a difference here with Kansas. Kansas has fought them tooth and nail. And you remember the Bill Seth pitchers and uh, uh, – Jim with the gold chains, and they bring Snoop Dogg in for oh, yeah. you know, their midnight madness and all that stuff. So Oklahoma State, they, I think, probably complied a little bit more. They got hammered. Kansas has fought it, and they've kind of been kind of belligerent the way they've done it. So I would really think that the NCAA, blue blood or not, is just going to be hell-bent on really sticking it to Kansas and I guess the whole situation is going to be, can they make it stick? But um, I, I think that if this is any kind of indication, then, yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And I think when you get into LSU and some of these others that are not basketball blue bloods, then, then yeah, absolutely. When you've got Arizona and some of the other, you know, North Carolina State, we already saw what happened there. So, you know, I look for stuff to come down. Travis, who do you think is going to get hit the absolute worst through all of this? And, and you know, speaking of Louisville in particular, you, you're pretty close with, with Louisville recruiting scene. And, and I know we talked behind the scenes that you had the, the fact that UofL was going to get hit with, with sanctions like a month before it actually publicly came out. Um, so, you know, how do you think that's going to unfold and who do you think is going to hit, get hit the worst? I definitely think Kansas is going to get hit the worst, but – at the same time, that's a question I was going to ask you all. Louisville complied the second time. They complied. They cleaned house. But after the first time, they didn't They didn't do anything and cheated once again while on probation. I want to know what you guys think is going to happen. I think they're going to get hit with a one, maybe two-year postseason ban, which will make it miserable in my household considering <laughs> we're, a, we're a split home here, UK and Newville, and they're, I'm talking about she's diehard, diehard Louisville. And – so that's going to be rough on me. But, yeah, I want to know, do you think that 
they like because they always the thing Louisville fans always use is we cleaned house. These kids had nothing to do with it. Blah blah blah. Should it have been the kids and their recruiting circles? Uh, should they have been avoiding the situation and should have known better not to get themselves in this predicament? Or yeah. do you side at Oklahoma State clean house too? Um, they, well, they, they fired the Lamont Evans or the, whatever his name is after, after the fact. Yes. But not completely. I don't believe. All right. Do you, do you side with the kids on that? Or do you think that the kids should just, uh, bite the bullet on this because they decided to go to a school that they knew was possibly going to get hit? Here, here's, here's my thing. Uh, you know, and I, I've, I've seen this on Twitter and, you know, people commenting on, on KSR articles and all that stuff with the same, same argument, you know, well, these kids didn't do anything, you know, the, the guilty parties and all these, all these schools coming out, uh, you know, Oklahoma state people have come out and said that these kids didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, okay, who else would you punish if this is the case? You, you know, okay, you, you put a, uh, a ban on the coaches, you know, you fire the coaches, you put a ban on them, you, you give them a, um, you know, recruiting restrictions, you know, blacklist them basically for however long. Okay. Then say the next school goes and hires another, you know, a, a, a coach that isn't afraid of cheating and, and will just keep doing the same thing. Rewind, repeat, fire that coach, ban that coach. And they hire another. I mean, there are loopholes to this. If, if cheating schools want to keep cheating, so why in the world would you not punish the the school from the top to the bottom and say, okay, Chris Mack, I, I'm sorry, but you knew going into this that this is this was the likely scenario. You signed up for this, and you know now you're going to have to you know take these penalties as they're handed down. You know the the same thing goes with the other schools that have cleaned house and have tried to cooperate the same way. You got to punish somebody, and and you know for some of the Kentuckys of the world, Dukes of the world, you know if I don't know why I said Kentucky, I'm just saying the the big blue blood schools. Fines wouldn't do anything with with. I mean, they can afford massive fines handed down and wouldn't be afraid to to keep doing what they're doing. But the smaller schools and all that that's who that that's who it hurt at the end of the day. I think at, at the end of the day, you have to punish the schools the way that they're. It seems like they're going to with Oklahoma State and and Louisville. Punish them as if as if you know. Yeah, maybe help them out a little bit for cleaning house, but but they shouldn't get much leniency for anything. I mean, you, you committed the crime. You have to, you know, do the time. The NCAA has been so consistent over, uh, inconsistent rather over the years. I go back, uh, gosh, when you guys were in diapers, and I'm thinking about uh, Tennessee and Alabama in football uh, back in the 90s, and there was a huge feud that time between Bill Fulmer and Tennessee and the state of Alabama and and and. Fulmer wouldn't come to SEC media days in Birmingham because if he did, uh, they were basically going to uh, hit him with an affidavit and make him uh, uh, make him uh, you know answer questions and, and, and show up for court and all that stuff uh, simply because Tennessee and Alabama felt like that Coach Fulmer turned on you know them and reported them, but uh, Tennessee was looking at was staring down the barrel probation as was Alabama. Alabama got it. Tennessee didn't get it. And the whole difference was that Tennessee uh, basically participated with the NCAA and Alabama didn't. So that kind of set a precedent. But then you fast forward another 15 years, and like I said, North Carolina really fought the NCAA tooth and nail 
and got off. And so it's, it's been an inconsistent situation, but I think as far as the punishment goes, when that is dealt out, it is dealt out to the school because I, you know, if you look at Rick Pitino, you know, he, yeah, he resurfaced again in college, but you know, he doesn't want to be at Iona. Yeah. And I think we all know that. And I, you know, the, there's been the rumors floating around now for a year or two that Bill Self is, you know, he's just kind of biding his time here when the shoe drops with the NCAA, he's going on to the NBA and the job that you hear the most about Spurs. is that he's going to replace Greg Popovich with the Spurs. And, you know, some of these guys, you know, the, the our, our older coaches have been around. You know, if Auburn ended up getting hit, they were mentioned. You know, Bruce, Bruce Pearl's not going to work again. He's already had a show cause. Uh, you know, Sean Miller's still young. Who knows how that could go? Who knows how Will Wade could go? But a, a lot of these situations, no matter what, they are going to hit the schools. They're going to hit the players. Now, they may give them an option to transfer out, but – that's pretty much the way it's always worked. And even if you get a show calls, they're still going to hit school. Yeah. So, you know, that, 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 that's pretty well the way I look forward to go. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say I don't feel bad for the kids and that, that it's not a tough situation, but you signed up to play at a school that you knew, you know, you look at, and, and that's what that'll lead us right into this next topic. Almost perfectly. Musa Cisse, look at his situation right now and what, you know, LSU is seen as the runaway favorite, has been for the last since freaking December, probably. I mean, maybe even before that, LSU has been seen as as the runaway favorite in his recruitment. And it seemed as of last week before he was, you know, he reclassed to 2020 and everybody and their mother said, oh, he's done deal to LSU. No way that that changes. It's a done deal. And – you know, I, I know when he, he pushed back his recruitment, or his decision said that he was – that it's just kind of an insensitive – it would be insensitive to make a, a decision of his magnitude given this the current state of affairs in the nation and, and just said it's, it's not the right time. And, you know, immediately people kind of thought – this kind of goes hand in hand with Dick Vitale coming out and saying that LSU was the next to get hit, that they're about to receive their, their notice of allegations. So, I mean, you think of a kid like him who is knowingly signing up who, if he does end up committing to LSU, he would be knowingly signing up to, to a school that is going to get hit pretty damn hard. I mean, LSU is going to be one of the top three schools that, that they gets hit with, with serious sanctions. So, I mean, do you blame Musa Cisse right now, or do you think you know Travis? Speaking speaking of him, I, I want I want your take on his recruitment and just kind of do you, if you were in his shoes, how would you handle that whole thing, and uh, what do you think he ultimately does given everything going on? I know that he's close with the LSU coaching staff. Um, he has, there's a guy on the LSU staff. I forget which coach it is that coached his older brother and. That's really helped LSU in this sense. But I think that Kentucky and Musa are on different pages here. I don't think that they that they'll be a match together. And I think uh, Corey Evans also says LSU. And both I think mine and both his and my uh, future cast are for the Tigers right now. I think that even despite what's going on with LSU, I don't think it really matters to Musa and his camp too much. But It'll be interesting moving forward. I think I only think uh, last time I talked to somebody close to the Kentucky program, I texted them whenever 
he reclassified to 2020. I said, what do y'all think about him as a 2020 option? I know y'all are high on him for 2021. That's what they had told me a couple weeks prior. And then uh, they said, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem that way. It's talking about not being a possibility, not being a re- really good chance. But yeah. I think that I think that he still ends up at LSU and uh, the relationships went went out there in the end. Yeah, I mean that that's that is the scenario that I look at the most and think, okay, he is a guy that knows complete, you know, full well what is going to happen. There's no way that people in his camp haven't looked at that situation and gone, ooh, man, we could. There's a very strong chance that we go there and and we don't get to play in the NCAA tournament, depending on the timing of the NCAA. And it seems if the, if the NCAA is willing to to hand down a you know, hand down a, a penalty as, as strong as they did for Oklahoma State, you'd think that they're going to act pretty quickly on the other schools involved in this. Why would they hold off on LSU for a full year or whatever when they've already done, you know, the same punishment, you know, they've already handed down a punishment for the same scandal, the same pay-for-play, you know, FBI cheating scandal with, with Oklahoma State? Why would they distance those so so far? So you'd think that, Musa knows completely what's going to happen. He knows there's a very strong chance that he doesn't get to play in the NCAA tournament and that they get hit with major sanctions, and there's still a very strong chance that he signs with them. So at this point, you're you're signing up with the program, not the coach. You know, I know there's some instances that that changes a little bit, but for the most part, if you're signing up with one of these one of these programs that are about to get hit or has already been hit, at this point. I'm sorry, but that's kind of your fault. Um, well, hey guys, people, it, go, it's go weird ahead. for us. We can't comprehend it as fans of the sport and imagining that we had the athletic ability to play the sport at a high level, uh, high enough level to play for NCAA tournament team. But the fact is that some kids just don't care about the NCAA tournament. They care more about taking care of the people that they have relationships with at school X or school Z. And while we can't fathom that, that's just the nature of the beast sometimes. Yeah. David, were you going to say something? Yeah. You know, you asked me if there were anything that I was surprised about uh, when I talked to Corey from everything that he said. And I guess I was surprised. Well, there's no guess to it. I was surprised that Oklahoma State was surprised. Yeah. And that word flabbergasted, I mean, We've talked about it on here. We've talked about it in stories. I've written about it for a year. That even when Oklahoma State's name came up in federal court and, and that uh, some of the issues that happened, I said, okay, this is huge because you're looking at, um, you know, Kate Cunningham and then some of the other schools and, you know, the Auburns and the Arizonas and, I guess, I guess the thing that has really surprised me more than anything is that these schools have continued just to roll out the the type. I mean, Evan Mobley, I understand his brother there. He goes to USC. They're mentioned. Uh, you go back and you look at who all Auburn's brought in, and they were mentioned. And then you go uh, Arizona. They they I mean they basically had a number one recruiting class in. Miller's all but fired, yeah. you know, and he turns around and brings in Nico Mannion and Josh Green. And, and, and I was, I remember asking Corey and Bossy and some of these other guys, I said, man, I mean, it looks like these programs are dead in the water. 
they're going on probation, and yet they're just signing one five-star after the other. What am I missing here? And so, to me, a just this whole deal that that uh, there's a surprise. To me, it's like turning on the news and they arrest some guy. They bring him out of his house in cuffs, and you, you find out there's they, they killed eight people in his house. Yeah, and then you interview his interview his neighbor, and says, "Well, I can't believe it. You know, <laughs> he was the school crossing guard, and he, he my kids went over and played in his yard all the time, and he was a nicest guy. You know, it's just." I don't know how much I buy into all that stuff, and, and it just seems to me like it's really naive if if people are surprised or shocked by any of this. Yeah, oh yeah, it, it's um, I, I yeah I, I I understand I understand the people that are surprised by it, and I understand you know the 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 severity of it, how Oklahoma State could have you know could think differently of it and think, man, I, I didn't think we'd get hit. I knew we'd get hit, but I didn't think we'd get hit this hard and th- those kind of type of arguments. But at this point, I'm just like the NCAA has been has rolled over so long. They've screwed up so many massive you know scandals, the UNC scandal, the Enos Cantor thing. You know, there's so many so many things that they've screwed up on. And when the FBI came in, you could tell there was a sense of embarrassment with them that they kind of looked at the situation and were like, dude, we can't look like the, the big pansies of the world anymore. We have to make an example of these guys that have, you know, like, I mean, Memphis, you know, put basically putting their middle fingers up at the NCAA with James Wiseman playing him, playing him after the, the sanctions came down for the two games or whatever it was. I mean, the NCAA has to look at situations like that and be like, you know what? We've been embarrassed one too many times. We have to we have to make an example out of out of these guys and and the people that keep you know hurting the sport and, and you know hurting the the EYB the, the 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 apparel brands and all the you know all of the dirty stuff going on in college basketball. I mean, you just got to think that at some point they're fed up with it and, and they're going to start making examples out of them. And at this point, and I won't that's be surprised why by anything. Th- and that's why I still think, you know, like I said, I'd heard that the, the NCAA had, had, had kind of sick the FBI on them. I mean, in all reality, yeah, that's true. They were tired of it. But let's face it, would Oklahoma State be on probation and North Carolina State be on probation and Kansas staring down the barrel of a gun if the FBI didn't get involved? Yeah. I mean, no, it wouldn't yeah, happen. That's a good point. Yeah, I I think I I genuinely think that they got embarrassed that the F, the FBI had to come in and do their job for them, and you know the, the, I think that one press conference where they came in and the FBI kind of said the NCAA missed here, the NCAA missed here. Here's everything going on. You know, drop the drop the mic and walked out of there. I mean, you you could tell that the NCAA when they were talking about it afterward, they were like. Yeah, this is definitely something that we're gonna have to address, and you know, it just it you you could just tell that they did that was very very embarrassing for them. And and was that the same press conference that they dropped the uh, they dropped the mic when they said uh, we've got your playbook? We've got your playbook. Yeah, that was the first. Oh, F- dude, that, that I'm ready to run through a wall for the FBI. I'm yeah. ready to go. Yeah, that was that was one of the most embarrassing things you had to think of the NCAA. I mean, to have the FBI come in say, here's, you know, here's this, 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 and this. Here are all the the schools. We've already arrested these guys. These are the guys screwing up. Here are all the players. Here are all the coaches. Have a nice day. For them to come in and just completely – 
you know, demolish the college basketball scene and basically look at the NCAA and says, your move, and say, your move. It's just like, oh, man. Like, I mean, I, I just – But I would have been worried also, you know, when if I'm sitting there and I'm an athletic director and my assistant coach, which is bad enough, you know, gets named and, and I, I know that it could get ugly – so the FBI spends millions and millions and millions of dollars and you go through a couple of week long federal court deal in New York City and then my assistant coach turns around and gets three years in jail. I mean three months in jail. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all of that for that, that's not what they've done it for. Something's getting ready to go down. Yeah. And you know, how much was the FBI interested in all that stuff? With everything they've got going on, I mean, how how much are they worried about something like that so i like i said i i just think the i just think the ncaa was just sitting there licking her chops over yeah <laughs> yeah we I'm, I'm very interested to see how uh you know how they they take these next steps specifically with kansas i think kansas is the big one to kind of prove okay are they serious about hitting the blue bloods are they worried about you know saving face with you know financially i mean shoot at this point they've been hit so hard financially with the ncaa tournament getting canceled and all this what's another blue blood you know what's a blue blood not being able to participate anyway i mean what at this point they have nothing they have no excuses to not you know lay the hammer down on on kansas but, but you know we'll the see. blue bloods are not out of reach you know kansas went on probation after larry brown uh ask kentucky fans about 87 oh, yeah. uh and, and then you get into football you know ucla i mean ucla usc in football i always thought lane kiffin kind of got a short end of stick out of that deal at usc but he was down to like 50 scholarship players and Jeez. he's going eight and four. He's going eight and four, nine and three, and they're wanting to run him off. And I mean, he's barely got enough to you know to fill the team. So you know they're they are not beyond this whole talk. You know, if Kansas gets in trouble, they'll put uh, uh, Texas El Paso on probation or something. You know, a lot of times there is something to that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's written in stone. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping. I'm. I'm. You know, licking my chops. I'm ready to. You know, get my popcorn out. I'm ready to see. You know, never. You know, wishing for bad. You know, ill wish on on anybody. But in this instance, I I definitely want Kansas is the one that I'm circling. I'm like, man, I'm I'm so sick and tired of them. Kind of you know scoffing at it. The the you know their midnight madness. The midnight at the fog. Like that stuff. I was like, man, you guys deserve to get just destroyed. I'm. I am. I'm counting down. I don't care about any school getting hit. I care about one person, one person going out on the lowest of lows, and that is Coach K at Duke. I I don't care. I want y'all's opinion on the the Zion House allegation that added stuff got added to that yesterday and today, and I I want to talk about that here in a minute. But I don't want anybody to get their character questioned more than Coach K because I can't deal with that whole. Holier than thou, uh, self righteous, honestly douchebag mentality that he puts off, or uh, shtick that he puts off. But it's, I mean, it's kind of ran its course with me. And he's always talked, he's always been righteous, uh, gracious in defeat, but he's always been the worst loser. And he always takes the high road when he wins and will talk, throw anybody under the bus whenever he loses besides himself. And for it to come out that Duke cheated to get Zion and 
possibly other players. Like, I think that they cheated to get Bagley. I think they cheated to get R.J. Barrett. I think that they cheated to get other players. But for if that was to come out, that would absolutely put the icing on the cake for anything uh, scandal-related for me. Dude, I'm telling you that. Well, we talked behind the scenes back in. I mean, one of the some of the first conversations we ever had were, man, did you, have you heard about uh, what? Uh, I mean, I know you guys heard the rumors of Zion and his stepdad about you know what he asked for for a meeting just to just to you know for schools to meet with him. I mean, I think that the the, the demanding request was two steaks one one, you know one fancy dinner and one to take home he's a I mean he was a guy that was very up and honest about how things were going in that recruitment and all this so seeing all the the documents come out and all the releases of oh he got this car and and you know they this you know five thousand dollar a month you know home and and all this it's like okay this is this is all aligning with the, you know, the the back behind the scenes recruiting stories we heard way back in the day. Uh, like it's all coming to light right now. So, yeah, this is not new. I mean, people have been talking about this in recruiting circles for years now. Um, and you know, going back to Zion Williamson, going back to Marcus Bagley, going back to you know all all these guys. We've we've heard these rumors in the past, and to see it kind of come to light right now is kind of like, I mean, it's just like, whoa. This is this is actually happening. Zion very well might have to speak about this, or I think the 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 most significant thing that could happen is if he settles. If he settles with this with this lady and and with this attorney and says, um, you know, I'm not going to take the stand. Let's just settle out of court. Doesn't have to get Coach K on the stand. All that. I think that would be the most damning thing that that could happen for the Duke program because it would prove that that Zion didn't want to take the stand knowing that uh, that he you know the, the, that Duke cheated to get him at the end of the day is, uh, David is that kind of what you're thinking yeah I I just think it's probably a little bit of a shakedown uh, you know guy comes into money and don't get me wrong I, I'm with you guys I, I'd love to see him squirm but uh you know how this stuff works and, and you get money involved and, you know, he, he's got it, you know, to save face of some of this. So, you know, just settle out of court and, and it's done basically. And, and that's way the way that, uh, I kind of see this one going, but you know, the, the funny thing about Duke, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, obviously supposed to be a high end academic school and, I can't remember the last time there's been a five-star player, just an elite player, who was recruited by Duke, and they say, look, we had to pull off because he didn't have academics. Yeah. Well, I mean, when has that ever happened? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know I understand, you know, you get all the players in there and, and everybody that plays at Duke, you know, who knows? Maybe it is only up and up. You know, they, they get the intelligent-sounding kid and kids that are well-spoken. And, you know, you hear a player like this talk and you go, that's a smart kid. But I just look at some of these guys and know that there are other schools out there, the Vanderbilts and the Stanfords and the Northwesterns and whoever that can't recruit certain players because uh, they can't get through admissions. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say this years ago, I was at a, when they used to have the Converse basketball clinics, 
there was an assistant coach came to me about a player uh, asking about him, and I said, well, I don't know if he's got the grades for Duke. And his words to me were, look, we'll put a suit tie on him, we'll get him through admissions, and if he can speak in complete sentences, he'll get an offer. <laughs> and uh, that that was, I'm quoting you word for word what I was told. So uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, whoever, they can get mad about whoever wants to get mad, but, you know, that's what I was told. So, um, you know, everything's not only up and up the way it seems. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> well, there's there's players in recent memory at Duke that I'm, I've heard that I don't know how they got academically eligible <laughs> within the past five, six years. It's I couldn't get into other schools, but they're magically getting into Duke. And then you talk, talk to people that know their transcripts and know this, that, and the other about them and opening up a whole can of worms with that thought. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's a there's a lot going on in the underbelly of all this stuff, and uh, it's a uh, it, you you hear some interesting stuff that you know ninety percent of it isn't true, but man, that that ten percent seeing seeing some of this stuff come to light, it's 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 pretty pretty crazy. Um, and I'm gonna tell you this: I think sometimes, especially in program, one of the biggest things that coaches has to, has to do, and I'm not saying that's the case here. Nick Saban came in at Alabama and knew he had to do it right off the bat. And you have got to put the kibosh on on, on uh, some of these uh, big time boosters. And you know it, it's it, things that go on totally behind the scenes and that that coaches may know or may not know. But uh, you know sometimes sometimes things can get to spinning and get going before you know it's out of hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, moving on from there, we have a couple. You know, we've talked about the bulk of what we wanted to talk about on this show, but we'll we'll end with with a few few little smaller topics. Um, Jonathan Kaminga officially or unofficially, I guess, reclasses to the class of 2020. Uh, I think a couple recruiting services officially moved him up to 2020 after graduating from uh, the Patrick School this weekend. And then I believe you guys, rivals, have not updated his rankings yet because he hasn't officially come out and and said that he was uh, reclassing. So I would think he will go to number two. And the reason I say that, I went back and since the show started and look, they did an overall, depending of class, uh, they did a back in the months ago, uh, the top 100 players, regardless of class. And Amani uh, Bates was number one. Kate Cunningham was number two. John Kaminga was number three. So I yeah. expect, I would expect him to come in at number two behind Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see uh, where he falls, but more importantly, I'm interested to see where he lands. Uh, Travis, we've kind of talked behind the scenes, and I think on this show quite a bit that it's definitely starting to trend the direction of the professional route. With you know, I think a lot of people are thinking G League, but uh, I think David, as you said earlier, that there might be some overseas buzz as well. Travis, what are you? What's your gut telling you about uh, Jonathan Kaminga and his recruitment? It's not the McCurr-Maker type of uh, feeling that he won't ever play college basketball, but I've had a pretty strong feeling for the past half a year or so that he wouldn't play college basketball. And I've talked to people close to the Kentucky program that have told me that like, they think that he'll go G League or they think that he'll go the professional route in some way. But if he goes the college route, I think you're looking at Texas Tech and I think you're looking at Auburn. 
I don't think Kentucky's really going to be in the mix there. Yeah, uh, David, you kind of touched on it earlier, but what's your gut telling you? Uh, basically the same thing uh, Travis said. The only thing that I'll add to that is I hear there is some inside pressure on him to go to Texas Tech. Uh, his brother's there, but I don't think it's from his brother. I just I just hear that they're uh, – you know, that, that there's some around him that really like him to be there. So uh, I think it's either Texas Tech or professional. If, if he does go, go to college, I think he'll be in Lubbock. Good. Yeah, I think. Although I think he'll go to pro route. Yeah, I, I, my gut is saying uh, G League. I think they, that'd be, you know, they got a point guard. They got a shooting guard. They have, uh, you know, a couple, couple forwards. I think that would be the prime position for him to kind of be the last final piece of that uh, star-studded G League starting lineup for whatever the hell they're trying to do with, you know, all these exhibition games and playing, uh, you know, all these different you know events and and all that stuff for over the next year or whatever so yeah we'll see i'm 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 in, intrigued in his recruitment just to kind of you know put the final final touch on it knowing what you know where he's going to ultimately ultimately end up um all right. From there, let's just kind of touch on a few of the you know few notes in, in the future classes. Brandon Huntley Hatfield's a guy we've talked extensively about on this show. We said last time we recorded that there was some movement regarding his AAU, um, you know, his AAU choice. He backed. I think at when we recorded this last time, did he officially back away from the Bobby Hayes yes. program? Did he? I can't, I can't remember if it was before or after. I- yeah, I can't remember specifically what the timing was, but I think the last time we talked was after the virtual visit where Bobby Mays was I still. He had. I, I thought the last time we did this, the Bobby Mays was was on the virtual call, um, and the last thing we said publicly was that that uh, that things went well that UK was where they were on the same page. He was pushing, you know, not pushing UK, but supportive of UK, even despite his Tennessee ties, things were okay. Um, I think so either way, that's how it unfolded immediately after the virtual visit. And then about a week later, you know, in the days after that, uh, Hunley Hatfield completely cut ties with the Bobby Mays with Bobby Mays and his AAU program. His mother put on Instagram said, "We are no longer uh, associated with them. Please direct any questions to me. I'll answer anything you have." Um, so that was kind of a thing. Like we all kind of said, "Like whoa, that's massive, massive news for him to no longer be associated with Bobby Mays." I mean, that's. That, that's a game changer for, for Kentucky. And then there was some other stuff that, that happened, and now he's posting pictures in you know the Bobby Mays facilities, shooting, uh, shooting around, dunking, putting highlights of himself up. So there's been a lot of back and forth about where he's going to play AAU basketball and, and just kind of what the heck's going on behind the scenes. Travis, do you have a feel on, on that? I know we've all kind of talked to either Brandon or his mother or those close to – those close to him in some form or fashion, but what's, what's your take on this, Travis? Where he plays AAU basketball this summer, fall, uh, will be telling. It's going to be a situation to watch for sure, because a lot of people in like all over the country seem to be wary of Bobby Mays and how his kid get recruited. And I think that, He's great 
he's great at developing players. He's really great at developing players. But a lot of people feel like he oversteps his boundaries. Like, for one, we talked about he was on the Zoom call with Kentucky. Yeah. Who else's AAU coach is on a Zoom call with a college? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that could cause some people to become wary of that recruitment, not want to get involved. It could uh, change people's involvements. But I think as of right now, I think Kentucky's in a good spot. But that's going to be a uh, situation monitor going forward for sure. Because I also hear that, that Tennessee is really involved in this recruitment. And everybody knows Bobby May has play, played at Tennessee. He's really connected there. And they're really trying to undermine how – they're trying to understate how much involvement they're, they're really having in this. Yeah, David. Now, with with EYBL being you know being canceled, and I know at the end of the day he's going to likely reclass anyway. But for this off season alone, could it just be the fact that he was originally planning on you know switching over to EYBL after all this Bobby May stuff, and that he just wants a home to you know for for these summer events? Maybe Under Armour is going to. Uh, going to play this, the, I guess, when the evaluation opens up in August, or yeah, I think some events are going to start in July. But could this all just be for nothing? Just a kid wanting to get back to playing basketball for a guy he's familiar with, and that he will be legally allowed to participate in events? Could that be the situation? I just feel like I, anything. I don't know enough about it, really. I've got feelings toward it. I don't know enough about it. Um, to really do anything except speculate. Yeah. But I do feel that with his ties to the University of Tennessee, having played there, and like I've said, he's based out of Knoxville. I'm I'm sure there's there's uh, he feels pressure in Knoxville for his players that he has from UT boosters and fans to go there and play. James Springer's playing there, so. No, I'm, I'm not saying anything wrong is going on whatsoever. But I am saying that just that, you know, hometown guy, the guy there uh, in Knoxville with the University of Tennessee ties, and they're probably one of the top two teams uh, that are after him. So that's going to make you worry a little bit if you're the other team. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's something we'll we'll be monitoring over the next couple of weeks, especially when these events start uh, start. Li- I mean, at, at some point, I think Under Armour is going to have to announce here soon about whether or not they're going to, you know, follow in EYBL's footsteps about canceling their their uh, grassroots season, or or if they're going to follow through with it and keep playing. And like I said, that that very well could just be, you know, Brandon wanting to play for you know for a, a shoe circuit with with a coach that he's comfortable with. I mean. It, it could boil down to just just that, um, but we'll, we should know here at some point in, in the near future about uh, you know w- where things stand, why he stayed, ended up going back to Bobby Mays, um, you know when these events are being played, all that stuff. It should be an eventful couple weeks. Uh, we'll end the show with this, Travis. Last weekend, you traveled down to Nashville uh, to watch. 2022 five-star point guard Sky Clark. We've had him on the show. Um, you know, we've talked 
you know, a ton about his heavy interest in Kentucky and, and how we've kind of penciled him in as, as a future Wildcat. You went to go down and watch him in Nashville for an open open run. Uh, real quick, you know, kind of run down what, what you saw and what you thought of his game compared to some of the professionals he was going up against and uh, um, how excited you are to go back down this weekend with us two goobers and, and watch him. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm more excited to finally meet David in person. I think that's what I'm most excited about here. But, yeah, there's a there's a lot of talent. It was the first time that I got to see really quality basketball up close for the first time since the college season shut down. Some of the players that were there playing with Scott were uh, Cavaliers, Darius Garland, the Rockets, Robert Covington, Ian Clark, he's played for the Warriors, Jordan Bone, who's on and off with Detroit, Alex Poitras, Jalen Barford from Arkansas, Kaka Tandy from Xavier. Uh, a lot of UK fans remember that recruitment. Devin Cambridge from Auburn and a few other overseas pros and college players. And then a 2022 top 15 player, Brandon Miller, that UK, he visited for Big Blue Madness last year. He was also there. Uh, but the thing that jumped out to me the most about Sky from the jump was his tenacity on defense during open run. Everybody was playing pretty solid defense, though. Like everybody's taking it serious. It wasn't like terrible pickup basketball that you're accustomed to seeing most of the time. Uh, but that's how he came in and earned the respect of a lot of the pros on the offensive end. It's kind of hard for him to get in the, into a rhythm because guys like Darius Garland and Robert Covington were running the show up top and they're really dominating the ball. So whenever Scott did get the ball, he was making things happen. He was either hitting an open jumper, getting in the lane, making something, something happen. Uh, he had a couple turnovers because like I said, the defense was top-notch. Uh, the pro players are really good at stripping the ball, and they're physical. But Sky's physical as well. He's got strong base, strong core. He he was doing a lot better than Brandon Miller, who – Brandon Miller's super skinny, uh, super lanky. Uh, doesn't His perimeter skills are still developing, so he, he can't beat guys off the dribble on the outside, so he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy. But Sky was impressing me more than all around than uh, some of the college players. Uh, like Tandy and Cambridge, I think Cambridge had a had a lot of uh, highlight reel dunks, but for the most part, uh, Sky was all around better player, and he was all around better player than Kai Kai Tandy as well. And then Alex Poitras was doing typical Alex Poitras stuff. He had a couple gym clearing dunks, but then he would disappear for about twenty minutes and then have a couple more. But Sky's jump shot is pretty smooth. Has a nice form on his release. Um, I think he knocked down like five or six threes on limited touches throughout the day. Like I said, he wasn't really running the show. Uh, ball gets good rotation. I think he's going to be like a 35, 40% three point shooter at the next level. I, I really like his, uh, all of his mechanics on this shot, but he's able to get in the lane and facilitate for others. And he's an unselfish basketball player. And it was, it was cool seeing him up close and personal. Yeah, that's. I mean, scouting reports awesome. I'm I'm thrilled. You know, we we had dinner with Sky and his family before uh, his unofficial visit to Kentucky a couple months back. But um, yeah, we're you know I'm I'm excited to get down there, see him in person for the first time. I've seen him at a couple, uh, you know, AAU events, obviously. But you know, this is the first time I've seen him since all the stuff's going on. So it's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, we're going to get to see David. Maybe have uh, you know have a, a beer with him down there. It'll be good time um yeah it's, it, we're, we're excited i'll bring the podcast equipment down and we, we you know we'll 
get the get the recording going, and maybe Alex Poitras will jump on. Maybe we'll get Sky on. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll just we'll just have it have it cranked, and, and whoever wants to hop on will. Um, so yeah, be on the, be on the lookout for that. We'll post highlights and and you know analysis on on our respective platforms. So it should be a fun weekend, and uh, we got basketball back, guys. I'm very very excited about it. So um, hey, real real quick note on uh, Sky's recruitment. They're expecting an offer this summer. A lot of the 2022 kids are expecting an offer this summer. I think the only one that has one right now is Brandon Huntley Hatfield. That's because he's considered 2021 by most. And I think that that's pretty much how Cal operates is he likes to offer these uh, rising juniors during the summer. And, I mean, it might be a little bit delayed due to the COVID shutting down the grassroots circuits, but – I'll say this, if and when Sky Clark gets an offer, I'm not more confident about any other person that Kentucky's recruiting than him joining uh, joining uh, Kentucky's program over anybody in any class. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident about it. I think June 15th is the first time coaches are allowed to legally contact uh, recruit 2022 recruits uh, on the phone. So this should be a pretty significant next couple days. You know, if if maybe uh, on June 15th, Coach Cal says, "Screw it, let's just call them up and, and offer them over the phone." And and uh, you know, could we could get some movement just here in the next week or so? So we'll we'll uh, keep our ears to the ground and 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 uh, keep you guys updated as much as we can. Uh, with that, let's let's call it a show. Uh, Travis, where can fans find your work? You can find me on my – it's the same at as my old Twitter, but it's my new Twitter. Be sure to follow it if you're not. It's at TravGraph underscore Rivals. And then uh, be sure to check out my other podcast, the Cat Scan Podcast, on every podcast network. And you can find my work alongside David Sist on Cat on Cats Illustrated. Uh, and David? Coach David Sisk at Twitter and uh, Cats Illustrated with Travis and – We've got the second of two mailbags, recruiting mailbags coming up. Should be out Friday. Very good. Uh, like like Travis said, he's uh, starting up his new po- his new uh, Twitter account. So make sure you go follow him and go follow David. As always, they both put it out, put out awesome work. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, reach out to me via email jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com for sponsor requests or any other just you know information tidbits, whatever you want. You can find me there. Uh, and with that, we will be back. I guess this weekend for another Jam Packed Sources Day podcast. We We'll see you then.